Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Hey, thank you for joining us today. We hope we give you a great conversation, something to think about, and some piece of business knowledge that you can take back and apply to what you're doing. Hey, in the U.S., not all great startups are just coming out of Silicon Valley and the West Coast. In fact, our guest today is doing amazing things, and he's based in Des Moines, Iowa. I can't even say Des Moines, Iowa, right? Des Moines, Iowa. That's how little I talk to startup founders from Des Moines. Um, but he's got a really interesting background and it always makes me feel intimidated when I talk to founders who started their first companies in their dorm rooms. He's already successfully exited two companies. He is on to a third. And again, it's going to be just a treat to hear what he has to say. So I have the privilege of introducing you to Russell Kareem. Russell, welcome to the program. Thanks, Allison. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So tell everybody which project, which business you're on today and what that one does. And we'll talk a little bit about your background and how you got to where you're at. Awesome. Uh, so my current company, uh, again, I'm Russell Kareem. Uh, my current company is uh, DACA.com. Uh, we're building the future of supply chain. Uh, what that means, uh, our marketplace that enables small to mid-sized clothing brand to go from idea to final delivered product ethically, sustainably, and cost-effectively through a single technology platform. So you guys can you can think of us like a Shopify for clothing supply chain. That's what we're building. Uh, some of our investors like to call us with the operating system for clothing brands. So I hope that kind of explains what we do. Uh, but yeah, happy to jump in and uh, kind of share more. Well, I know you haven't always been in just clothing, clothing brands. So tell us about the first two companies and how you got onto this one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, as we talking earlier, Allison, I, I came to US as a student. Um, uh, my first company, um, um, actually I had few more companies. They, they weren't really exit worthy companies, uh, but um, when I was in college, I actually built the university app when I was a student and actually sold it to the university. So that was my first business. Like, you know, I saw a problem. The university didn't have that uh, mobile application for, for one of their uh, programs and I just built it for them. So that was really the first thing. But that what that did is enable me to kind of get to the next stage. Uh, uh, my first company called Solverpedia.com. Uh, I wanted to build like a scholarly uh, us.com. Uh, and, you know, in college, I was a shop, sophomore in college. Uh, it didn't go far, uh, but, you know, I learned a lot from this. Uh, again, that allowed me um, to kind of get an office in the entrepreneurial programs. I actually had an office at the university uh, in the dorm room. And so that was really kind of helpful. But uh, that was my first company. Uh, then I started building mobile application for local companies in the Midwest, uh, mobile app and web application. I will start selling to companies that are like multi-million dollar or big operations. Uh, so that was really kind of helpful that I was just going in and building that. Uh, the next really kind of big company I built is called Fan Food App. Uh, I was one of the co-founders of the company, uh, which just kind of taken off. 
but then they decided to move into uh, Chicago and I decided to stay in Iowa. Uh, we exited the company in 2015. Uh, then I started another company uh, called Food Runner, which is Uber for food for the Midwest. Again, I grew up in, in, in Iowa. The only food option we had was <laughs> Chinese and pizza delivery. Um, and I was like, there's got to be a better way. I wanted to get Ellison, get my Italian food delivered. Uh, so I decided to kind of build my app uh, to get delivered from any restaurant locally. So we started in Cedar Falls uh, and that grew and we, you know, expanded to Waterloo. And uh, then we went to St. Cloud, Minnesota. We expanded to Council Bluff. So it's really kind of uh, grew from there. Uh, and we end up like uh, operating. I think we had at one point about over 100 drivers working for us. Uh, and can I expand it uh, quite a bit, like, you know, complexity in the logistics. Uh, then we end up selling the company to Eat Street uh, in 2019. Um, and now after that, I'm building my new uh, current company. Yep. Well, so let our listeners know, because I'm sure they can tell by your accent, Iowa is not home base for your whole life. Um, so tell us a little bit about what brought you to the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think I came to Iowa actually uh, just for my college for education. So I went to uh, University of Northern Iowa for uh, computer science and entrepreneurship degree. So I had a, uh, you know, uh, education there. That's really kind of brought me to Iowa. Uh, the reason actually I came in is I grew up in uh, in Dhaka, Bangladesh, which is one of the most populous city in the world. So I think it is uh, just to give you a perspective, uh, I think uh Dhaka has about 35 million people living in the uh, in the city of Dhaka and whole state of Iowa has about 3.2 million people. So it's just giving a perspective of how massive yeah. uh, where I came from. And I want to kind of go something that's outside of my comfort zone. Like, you know, I always grew up in the bigger city, had a lot more hustling and bustling. And I wanted to, you know, experience something different. And that really brought me to Iowa. Well, that's why I said it's fantastic. I, I've talked to other entrepreneurs who have come from their home countries and and truly do envision um, ending up in the West Coast market. And I, I think it's wonderful that you're doing this great stuff that you're doing out of the Midwest. Um, as a Midwesterner, I happen to think it's a great place to do business and get really great people. So let's talk about, um, as you've done your your growth, I mean, it's you've started off you know, do it yourself. I absolutely love how you, I kind of in my head and envisioning Russell, you being like, oh, you want tuition money? Here, I'm going to build something that you, instead you have to pay me. <laughs> Pretty much that's kind of how that was. Again, I saw that university for the alumni, they needed this app and they was building this lot of inefficiency. And again, that's kind of a lot of my entrepreneurial journey, just seeing the inefficiency in the processes. Like, again, I think we exposed to so many things. Uh, and I just said like, hey, there'll be a better way. I wrote a business contract, sent it to them, and they're like, hey, I'm gonna build it for you. They actually believed me that I'm gonna, I can do it. Um, and they signed it. Uh, they paid me, and you know, I brought a bunch of developers and built it up. So it's really, I think, um, uh, it's one of the book is called All in Startup, uh, and it talks about how you can actually find a customer before actually building the product uh, is the uh, other way around. So it's really, I think I was able to get my first customer before even I had a product, uh, which is really cost-effective way to get started. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't work all the time, but I think it did, really worked uh, in this situation. No, great, great example. So let's talk about Daka Eat because I know 
that it's not just about a supply chain platform. I know you have a, a mission and a passion as well around this. So can you expand on that for the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Again, I think I'm going to come down to my background. Again, I grew up in the clothing supply chain in Bangladesh. Um, uh, so Bangladesh is the second largest clothing exporter in the world. Uh, we export about $43 billion, uh, and which is the second largest, you know, after China. So maybe if you guys check on your... Like, I don't you know, think most people label. think about that. <laughs> Yeah, I know. If anybody is checking on the label, they might be seeing the made in Bangladesh. But a lot of people, they don't know that, you know, that this is a huge. So I'll give you another perspective, Alison, and for the audience that we have. Um, 4.5 million people in Bangladesh, they sew every day in those garments factories. So which is about one, one, one and a half times the population of Iowa, the state of Iowa. Every day work in this garment industry. So which is a huge, huge industry in Bangladesh. And, you know, 82% of our uh, foreign, you know, export is depending on clothing export that we do. So it, it really contributes to a lot in the GDP and the country's growth. And again, Bangladesh is one of the youngest country. So it comes from a passion that I wanted to do something, uh, you know, especially for my, my third startup, that this has a bigger impact and mission to it. Uh, and the mission that I have is, as growing up in this industry, I have seen a lot of inefficiency. Uh, the inefficiency from the manufacturing side. So what happened is we have about 6,500 clothing factories in Bangladesh. And some of the factories are really big, big factories. Uh, but this factory work for only one or two big players. So for example, someone might be, might be doing only for all targets uh, program. So it's almost they're putting all of their eggs in one basket. Just think about it. If Target just walk out or cancel their contract with them tomorrow, they wouldn't know what to do with this 10,000 employees that they have. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's really kind of like challenging situation that we have. And we're able to brought to that, uh, to this uh, manufacturing that, hey, like, you know, brands are diversifying the supply chain, we, which we have seen in China. Once we have this kind of tariff issue, a lot of the yeah. brands actually move from China to, you know, a, you know, Southeast Asia, like Bangladesh, India, and then Vietnam, like a lot of the supply chain, they moved in. But factory also has to do the same thing. They have to have maybe 25, 50% in the Europe, 50% in the US, break it down the supply chain, who they work with as a brand. So they really have, if one brand walk away, they still have many other brands to work with. Uh, so I think that's one side of the problem. The other side of the passion that I have seen that there is so much lack in transparency in this industry, uh, then you know the sustainability story is not really hard. And I think... Uh, we all talk about the pollution. So much things happen in the pollutions and impact and, you know, all the bad things. Every day you open up the fashion, it, that's all you hear. Uh, and I think from a passion part, because I know that this is also the industry that contributed to millions of people where I came from. This is also the industry that in contributed the people uh, and where they're able to send their kids to school and educate them and able to do economic development. So I think there are positive side as well, but really kind of differentiating how do you, like what is sustainability? How do you define that? And I think we're really kind of working towards that. Okay, uh, we're going to allow smaller brand to have more ethical and sustainable supply chain. So that's kind of one of our vision and the pillar that we're working towards. And I'm happy to kind of expand more, but you know, I wanted to make sure I can answer any question that you yeah, have as no, well. No, ab absolutely. And, and so one of my questions is exactly, who is your direct paying customer? Who pays for your platform? Absolutely. So the ideal customer profile uh, uh, for us is uh, small to mid-sized clothing brands. 
uh, where they're, I would say, graduating from dropshipping or print-on-demand. So let's say, Allison, you have a, like a, for your followers, you have a dropshipping, your store where people can order shirts and Vista print or maybe Printify, they just ship it for them whenever someone has ordered. You don't have to do anything, no touching, nothing, but they get shipped. But the problem with that, Allison, is you're not actually sharing your experience. It comes in a Vista print box and their mm -hmm. labels, their hang tags. It's not Allison's uh, summer's name. So the minute you're thinking about like, okay, first of all, I'm not making enough money doing this way. Second, my audience are not able to connect with me. So the minute this smaller brand, they are able to generate over $500,000 and they wanted to create their own private label brand. That means that's Allison's own brand, own touch, own uh, personalization that she wanted to make for her audience. So that when you are ready on that stage, that's our ideal customer profile. So usually I said my ideal customers are when they're generating between 500,000 to maybe a $20 million revenue. That's where is really the ideal case for us to take on. Uh, but we think of, you know, a lot of brands. So there are about 244,000 clothing brands on Shopify. And these are also one of the ideal case brands. As long as they're trying to create their own label, that's when uh, they'll come to us and we're able to help them not only just create their own unique brand, but also scale them so they can compete with brands like Macy's of the world. Now, that's a great, that is really a, a, a great mission. Um, because as you said, there's there's so much going on and the roadmap to get to success, and it doesn't matter what industry you're in, is so complex that you need people who are going to help um, that navigation for it. And, and again, I had no idea that so much of the clothing that we get comes through Bangladesh. The statistics you have shared have just been amazing. I want to shift, shift gears now, and, and let's talk about, you know, the 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 things on the founder's journey, you someone alluded to this earlier about, you know, saying, you know, well, really only two of the companies were, were good for successful exits and, and for sales. So I know that you also speak and, and, and talk to other entrepreneurs. What are some of the basic ground rules that you would tell to somebody as they're going to build their business or scaling their business to keep their eye on, to be very cautious about? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, one of the things I probably, you know, even um, like entrepreneurs to think of their, uh, I'll say the finance. I think a lot of cases entrepreneur, we don't probably look into the financial models and really unique economics of the product. Uh, again, I think that will be probably applies to a little more matured, like they probably have a business. I feel like if that's, that's what the situation, really making sure that you have good accountants that understand the microeconomics of your business. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, if you don't really understand what is your unique cost for the product you are selling for? Uh, what if the cost of goods sold and, you know, what you need to sell it for? That's really important to build a viable company. So understanding your numbers, I think that's really important for any any founder that we, you have. Uh, the second part of it, I'm going to come it down one step down, just people are just trying to start that maybe they don't have a business yet. Uh, first thing I think is important for uh, doing really in-depth, customer discovery and market research. I think that's so crucial that uh, we as an entrepreneur don't get to ask enough customers like, 
what would you want in an ideal case situation? How much are you willing to pay for this? What are the problems? Really, you know, before someone starting their business, I would think anybody starting a business, they should interview at least 100 people. They think they are, they are their ideal customer. And able to interview them and figure out what exactly these people, they have the problem with, the problem they're solving, and what type of solution they're expecting in the ideal case situation. I think that's so crucial to building any business. And I think it's so helpful. It was so helpful for me as I was building my companies. Oh, no, thank you. Hey, marketing. Let's talk about marketing. Do you have any favorite marketing or relationship building tips? Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing uh, uh, really worked well for me, and I think I'll, I'll share that with the audience, is really use your employees and the audience like you are like you're really the what it call like your uh, biggest fan so think about it right like let's say you posted something and you i have let's say 17 employees every day if my 17 employees sharing something that i posted that goes to maybe 500 other people they're connected to so the growth that you can see through that like this is just a, a growth hack you can anybody can utilize just encouraging their employees to hey feel free to share with your socials tell our stories that can actually go a lot far. Even if you think like maybe you have a 500 or 1,000 followers, but if you have 20 employees and they start to like share those every day or maybe every week, that can reach thousands of thousands of people. So I think that's the, one of the really quick, easy tips I would share with the audience. And speaking about your employees, what is, if somebody, if you had to define your culture in just a few words, how would you define the culture that you're trying to build? I think in terms of uh, our culture, I think that's really, really uh, interesting uh, because we're early on early startup. And I think we're hiring people. We're still figuring out as we go, what's our culture, right? I think culture is something not only we get to build, but it also culture builds us. Like, you know, culture builds by the mm -hmm. employees that we hire. So I think the more people we bring in, it just, it's not where we want to mold them. It's like they also contribute to the culture. So I think in terms of a few things we feel for our company culture is uh, the commitment that they have. Like, you know, I think whether it's commitment to our team members, whether commitments to our employees, commitments to our customers, I think that's really crucial that if I commit something, then we deliver. That's the one thing, right? I think uh, if you read about our company vision, uh, we have communication is one of our pillars. That's really one of the big things that we want to make sure that uh, as a team, everybody can communicate and everybody have the voice. I think that's so important to really make sure that your team members have the voice and they can really bring in and able to kind of contribute to the culture. I mean, I think sustainability, one of them uh, that we want to bring uh, into the culture, but again, uh, it's a really broad. So we're really still working on building and shaping at the same time we're uh, growing the company. Russell, I so appreciate that very authentic answer. And I really do appreciate you saying um, that the that the employees build the culture and the culture builds us. I, I think there's some really great wisdom and sometimes I think all of us in business, it doesn't matter whether you're working in an established business, but anywhere you're in leadership, somebody gives you a question like that. You think you have to have this pretty canned response and here's my list of these three things. And so I, I value that you gave us a different perspective and can, can say, you know, we know what are some of the, some of these values are and where we're going, but it's, it sounds like it's going to be exciting to see where that takes you as you continue to expand and add more team members. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Are your team members in the U.S. and Bangladesh, or where are they located? Uh, so we have uh, actually diverse team members. So it's really split half, uh, half of our employees in the U.S. and half of our teams in Bangladesh. Um, so right now in the U.S., we have our uh, operation, U.S. operation. We have our sales and the marketing team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really kind of brand side of it that they are in the U.S. Uh, then in Bangladesh side, we have our uh, manufacturing side of the operation. Uh, then also our uh, technology team is based in Bangladesh. So that's that's kind of the split right now. Uh, and we have about 17 team members. I'm going to flip the questions. Russell, you're you're such a industrious person having kind of seen all these opportunities and solve the problems. Do you ever have a problem with like shiny object syndrome? Like, oh, I see that problem. I could do something about that. Do you have that kind of um, thought process or are you pretty great about staying singularly focused right now on your current project? I think, yeah, absolutely. It's really the opportunity cost, right? I think I'm right now so invested. I'm not really thinking outside of Dakai. So that's really my... 100% 100% focused and building this, I think, you know, I really see the problem we're solving, you know, uh, just the clothing itself. April is about $2 trillion uh, industry, not even billion, $2 trillion industry globally, which is a huge, we all are impacted. Every single person in this world are impacted by this. And I know the, how big that is, but we're trying to kind of come up with solution, both on the supplier side, both on the demand side and trying to work through. So there's a lot of problem in this, uh, in terms of even, I think there are a lot of shiny things within even what we're building. And sometimes I have to come back to like, okay, we got to bring me back to the ground and be focused on this smaller win rather than the big win we're going. So I think, you know, I'm really, as a founder, I think as I build other company, one thing I have learned is really having focus is the way to build. And I mean, I think, Right now, the vision is really for the company. I think I'll be building probably this company for the next eight years and maybe exit the company. So I I also have a like, you know, vision that, okay, this is not going to be maybe forever. This is maybe next eight to 10 years. So usually I'm giving, you know, every company about the 10 years going forward. Uh, and I, I, I think, you know, I'm really going to be focused for the next eight years. We already spent about two years. I have eight more years to go, but I think it's going to be single-handedly focused on this and making sure we build the best product and really solve the problem for the customer we intended to build this product for. I like to talk about co-founders and or, you know, your your competent right hand and how you divide divide duties and roles. So what would you say is is your key focus and then that trusted, you know, number two that keeps everything going on the other side of the fence? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, that just comes down to my, our uh, key executive team that we have. So it's really kind of four people that really plays part in this, uh, our executive team and group of advisors that we have. Uh, but, you know, my second hand, I would say would be uh, Rebecca Arleno. Uh, she came from this industry, has over 30 years of experience in this uh, clothing manufacturing and design. Uh, so, you know, she worked for Kabbalah's for many years and Nexus Outdoor. So she brought in so much experience and coming to it. And I think, uh, you know, she able to bring in uh, really her authentic experience and able to translate within the product that we're building. Uh, then we also hired uh, Korshed Ali Mondal, who is our country manager uh, in Bangladesh. And Korshed, 
he came from the largest sourcing company in the world called Lian Fang. He worked Lian Fang about 18 years and has about 26 years of experience in this clothing manufacturing production. So he brings in like in-depth knowledge in this manufacturing side and the relationship. Uh, then the fourth person is uh, Dina Kuden. Uh, Dina sits in the uh, Los Angeles and uh, she is our sales uh, manager. So she brings in all the sales relationship, work in this space over 20 years in this fashion sales. Uh, so those are kind of four key people. And I'm very much of like able to distribute all the work. And that way I can, you know, I can focus on my part and they're able to work on their 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 parts as well. So it's really important, I think, as a leader, uh, making sure that you have the right teams uh, that can take ownership on the part of the business. So, you know, then you're not really micromanaging everybody. Where are you going to get your inspiration today? Are you listening to anything in particular, reading any interesting books, journals, online newsletters? What what inspires you? Really, I, I one of the things I do, as I think that could be real, really interesting, is I sometimes just get meeting with a lot of interesting founders, like other founders that's probably a lot ahead in the like in the game for me. Like today, I just met with one of the company called uh, Shift Smart. Um, they raised, you know, a lot of funds and they did a Series B and just talking to some of the founders within even within, uh, you know, within the startup spectrum. I think they just, you know, really uh, inspire me a lot. Just seeing other founders and their journey uh, as they're trailblazing, as we're coming in as a founder as well. So I think I learned a lot from other founders and fellow founders I'm, I'm really part of. Actually, we have a one group in Chicago founders group. Uh, I really love, I actually look forward to be coming to these meetings every week. Actually, we do once a month now, uh, but it's just so insightful how other founders uh, you know, solve these problems that we already are facing. So we can really share authentically. It's just we can, uh, you know, talk about our challenges, you know, and able to say, hey, how did you talk about, you know, how did you talk to this investor? What are the things happen? Uh, what are the challenges? So it's really interesting to kind of do this. I think that's one of the way. And second thing also mentor. I think one thing I was, I was very fortunate that I was able to surround myself uh, with uh, some of the best mentors that has already a very exciting journey, whether as they're running their own business and exit on the company. So they're really able to and bring their own experience and the journey and just learning the story. I think that just inspires me so much every day. Well, you had mentioned earlier the piece about financial needs. And so I have to ask you, this this current business um, are you looking for outside capital? Are you looking to expand at a very rapid rate? What's the what's the growth strategy here? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Right now, actually, we're raising a round. Uh, so I just, you know, every day, a lot of my time spent in uh, <laughs> meeting with investors, uh, uh, a lot of rejections, uh, a lot of excitement and follow up and due diligence. So that's kind of part of it exciting time right now uh that we're I'm, I'm kind of spending a lot of time so we are raising a round right now our our seed round and part of that really uh the fund will be utilizing to uh going for more business development really continuing to bring in more businesses in and grow our technology so really kind of helping us to get to the next stage in the business uh so that's that's what um, i am right now raising uh i'll be also going to the oakland uh at the founder con uh, which is the Texter's founder con in, uh, in, in San Francisco and Oakland. Uh, so we'll be meeting a lot of investors there. So I think as a founder, I think it's very surprising for maybe people who are starting out when you kind of get into this venture side of it. 
you get to spend a lot of time with investors. That's kind of a lot of my time right now that I spend every day. Just as much as I sell my product, I also get to sell to investors, like why they should invest in our company. Well, that's why you need that good, solid team that you were giving applause to there um, so that you can do that. Uh, any part of the pitch you love or you hate when you go out and you sell to these investors? Uh, I think I really love, I really love the storytelling. I think, you know, one of the things I feel like uh, for business that I'm building is really uniquely positioned for me uh, is based on my upbringing. This is, this is, this is what, this is what I grew up with. Uh, I know ins and outs of what happens. I really feel like that, you know, I really understand the both sides because uh, a lot of other uh, solution when they're building only from the brand side, they don't think about what happens other side of the spectrum, what happens the other side of the world, how they work, what are the cultural barriers, how they take on some of the messaging that you want to put it in. Mm -hmm. So I think really kind of having, as you said, building a global company, you really have to have a global perspective of how this world works and how different culture works and understanding of that. So I think I really bring that. Uh, then also my you know background with the tech and you know going and skilling or selling other company give me that perspective of business and hiring. So I think that's the kind of part I really enjoy sharing. Um, the part I really hate, I, I don't know. I feel like sometimes also probably I don't really like to talk much about myself. I think that's kind of, it's like a gray area. You don't want to be over talking versus like, you know, like it's just a happy mix. I think uh, you want to talk about. So uh, sometimes I have to kind of bring it down a little more tone and uh, make the happy medium there. Well, Russell, we'd like to ask our guests, and if we came back and talked to you in two, two to three years, especially we assume you're going to be successful at this seed round, what's the story in two to three years? I think, you know, that if we really see in the two to three years, we really, I mean, the vision for us within the two to three years, we're really going to be scaling our company 15 to 20x of where we're at right now. I think that's, that's really the vision. Uh, so I think initially uh, we... Uh, last, you know, 17 months we spent in building the product and finding this product market fit. And I think we're really kind of getting into finding that product market fit. We know who is our ideal customer profile. We know what type of problem they're having and we know what type of solution they're expecting. So mm -hmm. those are the things we really know that we think we figured out. And now I think in the next part of the business is really continue to build a solution further. So this is that like the perfect product for them and continue to really grow those businesses that we have. Uh, so I think that's kind of where we'll see ourselves again. I would say maybe if you see me in the next two years, I would say maybe we'll, be have, we'll have probably over 100 employees, uh, our team members working for us globally. Uh, that's kind of how I see. And plus, I think we'll be growing uh, probably about 15x of where we're right now. That is absolutely fantastic. And, and there's something that you said, you said it earlier and I'm going to repeat what you said again, because it's just so valuable to our listeners, no matter what established business they're in. And that's know the solutions the clients are expecting, you know, and there's a difference between what they say they want and ultimately what they expect and also what they, the silent things that they don't tell you that they expect. I, I think that's just such a powerful thing to always keep in mind. Um, and hey, you're not that far away. You can you can come over to Chicago very quickly. Come on, you know, in February, drive across from Des Moines to Chicago in uh, four feet of snow and, and come visit me. 
No, don't come and no, absolutely. And again, well, I feel like you probably haven't come to Iowa, so you are, you know, you're invited to come to see us in Des Moines, and you know, uh, happy to give uh, be your tour guide here. Oh uh, well, thank you so so much. So, if people want to learn more about the company, connect with you, where can they go? What can they do? Uh, great. Uh, I think for them, really go to visiting our website, which is dakai.com. So it's D H A. Uh, kai.com. Very easy. Uh, so they come to daca.com. Uh, they will see all the information. They'll be able to sign up. They'll be able to request any information uh, about anything just on the website. Uh, and for me, if anybody's interested to connect me, again, please find me on LinkedIn. Uh, again, it's uh, uh, linkedin.com. I think it's profile slash Russell, Russell Kareem. So if you just search uh, Russell with one L and Kareem, uh, K-A-R-A-M. Uh, you should be able to find me. And again, Allison, if you want to just kind of add to that video, that would be great. But I'm happy to answer any question. Again, you guys can also reach out to me via email as well, which is russell at dakai.com. So again, I, I like to make myself available. I know that every day I don't get to go through my email, all of them, because now I get so many emails these days. But happy to be, you know, happy to be part of the network and, you know, support anybody I can and uh, be, you know, uh, be a resource for anybody I feel like I can add value to. Well, thank you so much. And and to our listeners, if if you know somebody that would value the story that Russell just sh- shared, please pass along a copy of this episode. Also, if you find value in the Disruptive CEO Nation podcast series, please give us a positive rating on Apple or your favorite podcast home. Until we meet again, keep your eye on the future and always be disruptive. Thank you again, Russell. Thank you, Allison. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.